may be seated. Hey, I love Christmas season because we sing some of these songs that are so powerful about God coming to earth. And sometimes we miss that in the holiday. And I want to challenge you this, this Christmas season. I'm, I'm a big person about um, in rituals, um, uh, just practices that you start every year. And, and to begin doing those things as, as ways to remember. Um, God's big into rituals, right? Communion is one of those things, right? He says, do this in remembrance of me. And so let me challenge you this Christmas season. Do something to change the pace of your Christmas season, right? So that you remember the reason for the season. So that you remember what God did in Jesus Christ to save the world. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. So let me challenge you in that way. And this morning we're beginning a new series. We're, we're simply calling it Ugly Christmas. And I think you'll see why as we get into this series. Let's, let's pray and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll share in a, in a time of studying the scriptures. God, we give you thanks this morning that, um, that you've given us this opportunity to gather in this place. And God, we do give you praise. God, we do honor you because you have done great things. And so, God, as we open your word and as we read about what you've done in history, God, I pray that you will help us to see what you want to do in us today. God, that you will help us to understand the scriptures better, understand your will for our lives better, so that we might walk forward in courage and boldness and in integrity that we might represent you more fully in this earth. God, it's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, every, every Christmas season, one of the first things that I, I like to do, and I'm already thinking about um, a list of movies that I want to watch, right? I, I have my favorite Christmas movies. I think a lot of us have our, our favorite Christmas movies. One is um, The Christmas Story, right? That's just a classic Christmas movie. That, that's one of my favorites. Uh, another favorite, and I like comedies. I'm just that kind of guy. Um, uh, another movie is Elf. Um, hey, I know Elf with uh, Will Ferrell. That, that, is, uh, that is a funny movie. Um, I, I can watch that movie. Actually, I will, I will watch YouTube clips from that movie year-round, right? It'll be July, and I'm sitting there looking up that movie on YouTube and watching it because it's not on TV, right? And I'm sitting there watching it. Um, but one of my favorite is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, if you've ever seen that movie. Uh, that, that movie, the, the, the family in that movie is so dysfunctional. Right, that it's funny. You got Clark Griswold. Have you ever seen the National Lampoon movies? Right, uh, the, there's what the National Lampoon uh, Summer Vacation is. That what that one is? When he de- determined to take his family to to Wally World. He's this traditional American man that has these dreams and hopes for his family. He's working hard. He wants to provide uh, hard, well for his family. Now he wants the best for them. But every time he does something, it seems to almost he just can't get right. Right. Um, and so in that movie, he has this idea, this vision of this spectacular Christmas, right? He's putting the lights on the house, right? They cut down the tree. Everything seems to go bad, right? He has all these ideas, almost like he had this checklist of things that he wanted to accomplish for Christmas. It would make Christmas great for his family. And thing after thing seems to, to go bad. And then his cousin Eddie shows up. Have you ever seen that movie? Cousin Eddie was a, uh, he is a character, right? He shows up in this old, run-down RV. You have a picture of all that. Oh, wow. That's Cousin Eddie right there. Um, he shows up in this old, run-down RV, and uh, his dog, I think the dog's name was Snot, right? Uh, and and, he, and I remember there's this one scene where he pulls Clark aside, and he says, hey, you got to watch out for Snart, Snot, because he'll go to town on your leg if you let him, right? And, uh, and, and you remember what he said? Just let him finish, right? I, <laughs> 
the movie is just, I mean, there's so many classic, classic scenes. And then the in-laws show up, right? And uh, Ellen, Clark's wife's parents come. And there's that one scene where they're sitting at the kitchen table. And they ask uh, Ellen's wife or, or mother to say the grace. Uh, and, and first she says, huh? And they say, grace. And then remember what she said? I pledge allegiance to the flag. Uh, it's cl- classic, classic funny moments in that movie. It's one of my favorite. I haven't seen it yet this Christmas season, but I'm sure I'll be watching it this week. The, the family's just dysfunctional, um, and it's so dysfunctional that, that, it's, that it's funny. Uh, when we read in the scriptures, we see, um, we see that kind of like the Griswolds Christmas, that Christmas isn't always pretty, right? Is not always idyllic. I, this week we were in Trinidad visiting family. This past week we were in Trinidad visiting um, with Kim's family. It was my first time there. And it, I, I laughed because um, we, we were walking down the street, um, uh, and it's kind of in the main center of, of town, and they had this manger scene uh, that was, uh, it was kind of on this stand, almost like a platform. It was this manger scene that was there, uh, and Jesus was kind of locked up there. There was these grates over him, and he was locked up there. I imagine so that nobody would still um the manger scene is the reason why it was like that uh, and i was like man jesus got a hard life right born in prison uh, it wasn't a manger right it was no stable he was born in prison uh, at least that's the way it looked like but the reality is uh, jesus came into this world in a hard way and christmas was ugly right in fact christmas was pretty ugly um and so um we, we see in the scriptures that that um that there was all kinds of um the fear that surrounded the first Christmas, right? There was hardship that surrounded the first Christmas. There was a long journey that surrounded the first Christmas. There were dysfunctional family members who were there that surrounded the first Christmas. You see, Jesus' family was a lot less than ideal. As we've already seen, there were some characters in his past. And I think we're wrong if we assume there were, there were no characters in his present, right? They, what do they say? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Jesus has some characters in his history. And, and I think we're wrong if we assume that Mary and Joseph had it all together and God chose them for that very reason. In fact, when Mary shows up and Joseph and Mary are engaged and Mary shows up and she says, I'm pregnant by God, I imagine some people were thinking, oh boy, here's another one. We got another one in the family. This girl is nuts, right? Mary was destined to be that crazy aunt who continually uh, uh, stuck with her story that God did this, right? God did this, right? Um, you know, they were some, she, she would have fit right in in that family, right? Um, because Christmas isn't always pretty. Sometimes it's ugly, and sometimes there's all kinds of challenges that arise there. And so this, for, for the next three weeks, right, we're going to be in this series, and we're just simply calling it Ugly Christmas. And so for, for three weeks, we're going to do that. I think December 21st, uh, which is the Sunday before, um, before Christmas, I want you to wear your ugly Christmas sweaters. I'm going to see if I can find one. I know some of you already have them. Um, some of you may just have to pull back in your closet the one you wore several years ago if you keep stuff long enough and haven't given it away because styles change and you're like, why did I wear this, right? Um, but we're going to wear ugly Christmas sweaters December 21st, right? I think that's the day uh, here, Sunday morning. Wear them. Um, but, but Christmas isn't always, it's just not always pretty. But one of the things that we see uh, in the scriptures, and this is a thing that, that always encourages me when I face the reality of Christmas, 
And that's that the ugliness of Christmas, at least the ugliness of the first Christmas, formed the perfect backdrop for God to display his supremacy, right? God, the, God displayed his supremacy and it was more clearly seen. It's kind of like light and darkness, right? If you have light in light, the light isn't as brightly seen. But when light comes into darkness, right, that light is even brighter than it was, or at least it seems brighter than it was before. So this ugly backdrop of Christmas, this hardship, this struggle, this journey, this pain, this fear, all allows God the perfect place um, to display his supremacy. When I talk about the supremacy of God, I simply mean um, that God and all of his ways are superior. That God and all of his ways are superior. So what God does. And so, yeah, um, uh, Mary and Joseph did not have the perfect family. They just didn't go that way. They didn't know in an ideal world. Maybe God would have picked the perfect family and they would have said, oh, duh. Of course, Mary and Joseph would, would give birth to Jesus. Right? Of course, they would raise Jesus. They didn't have the perfect family, but it was perfect for God. Right? They didn't have the perfect family, but it was perfect for God. And so Christmas season, different people experience it different ways. My wife and I were just laughing the other day talking about that. You meet some people and they're already stressed out about Christmas because right, they got to spend time with family. Right? Some people are like, Ugh. and then some people celebrate that. Did um, uh, they get to spend time with, with family? And people, people kind of fall on either end of this spectrum. But, but the reality here is, and I think what we can take away from the Christmas story, and it's that God wants to do incredible things in and through families. In fact, the family unit is a unit that God has designed through which God desires to get the glory. And it's only when families recognize that God is supreme that God gets the glory through our lives. When we recognize that God and all of his ways are superior to any other way, it's only then that God gets the glory. And so what we see here in the Christmas story is that it began with Mary and Joseph saying yes to God. Because they realized that God and all of his ways were superior. And God did incredible things through them and through their lives. See, there's all kinds of things we don't understand. And it's the thing I love about God, especially when we take God out of the box that we too often place him in. Or maybe the box that I too often place him in where I see God in a limited view. When we take God out of that box and we expand our vision for what God can do in and through our family, when we follow God, when we make God supreme, when we know that his ways are superior and we trust him in spite of what we're able to see, when we trust him in spite of how inconvenient it may be or how hard it may be or how long the journey it may take, or how scary the road is when we choose to trust him in spite of all of this, the greatness of God is clearly seen when we recognize that God is supreme. Right? The greatness of God is clearly seen when we, when families, when individuals, when people recognize that God is supreme. And there's three things that we can do, I think, at least three things that we can do that we see in the Christmas story um, to help us to recognize the supremacy of of God. 
The first thing that I want you to see that we can do is all over the Christmas story. In fact, it's at the heart of the Christmas story, and that's letting go of past hurts, right? Letting go of past hurts. The biblical word for this is forgiveness, right? The Christmas is all about forgiveness. That's really what the story is about. Forgiveness is at the heart of Christmas. And if we want God to be supreme in our Christmas, we got to let go of some past hurts. Look with me at, at Matthew chapter 1. I want you to see... Um, in Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 20. Listen to what it says. And this is, um, um, I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins, right? He will forgive them, and as a result, he will set them free so that they don't have to walk in a destructive way of life any longer. Forgiveness is at the heart of the Christmas story, right? There's no Christmas without forgiveness, right? There's no Christmas without forgiveness first. God came to earth that we might be set free, that we no longer had to owe a debt for what we'd done, that we might be free to walk in a newness of life. And that began with God saying to us in Jesus Christ that all that you've done, your entire past, your whole history, all your failures, all your shortcomings, all your mistakes, all the time you've let people down, all the things you've, ways you've messed up, all of these things are wiped clean. You're free from them in Jesus Christ, and you may now walk in newness of life. And you know how this story turns around, right? We've been forgiven, therefore we forgive. Now, often in, in church, and at least uh, even in the counseling and, and uh, psychology world, there's this metaphor known as the hook metaphor, right? You may have heard it, right? When we refuse to forgive, we're on a hook. I think I even have, yeah, 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 yeah. Here it is, um, the, the, the step. So um, I think we have a hook. Yeah, there's a hook. Um, so being in unforgiveness is like being on a giant hook. There's a giant hook. It's like hanging on this hook. Um, and th- this is what, what psychologists and counselors will tell you. Uh, next to you on the hook, and, and pastors, uh, next to you on the hook is the person who hurt you. Right? So you're on the hook. The person who hurt you is on the hook. And the hook is extremely painful. Wherever you go, so does the hook, and so does the offender. Right? The, the only way you can get off the hook is if you allow the offender off first. Right? So you're on the hook, and the only way you can get off the hook you let the offender off first. The cost of not allowing the offender off the hook is perhaps a lifetime of unhappiness. And so you may have heard this explained. Um, when, when you don't forgive somebody, you're only hurting yourself, right? You're carrying around that pain. You're carrying around that hardship. You're carrying around that thing you're remembering in, and you're not moving on past that. And it's a good metaphor, and I think that's a byproduct of forgiveness. Let me say that. That is a byproduct of forgiveness. But the Scriptures never list that out as the impetus for why we forgive, right? We let someone else off the hook, at least according to Jesus in the Scriptures, because of Christmas, because we ourselves, have been let off the hook 
Because Jesus came to forgive. He's already forgiven us. We've been set free. We've been let off the hook. So we turn around and we, we cannot have the audacity to say, well, I've been let off the hook and I'm just going to hold you here and hold myself here. And a byproduct of forgiveness, though, is that we are free as well. We don't, free, we don't forgive because we want to be free. In fact, in fact, here's my fear here. Um, my, my fear is that, and this is just our culture, um, um, society, uh, is that the world begins to center around us and our happiness. Right? You go in the bookstore, there's a million self-help books, right? Uh, I've thought about writing self-help books just so I could not have to worry about how I was going to live. Uh, from day to day, because um, <clears throat> I think anything sells these days. Uh, you just, I could write a good one, too. <laughs> I, I, I promise you, you read my book, you will live a happy life. <laughs> um, uh, but, but so everything's all about living these happy lives. And my fear here is, is that when we use this hook metaphor as the impetus or the motiva- motivation for forgiveness, that the world becomes centered on us and our happiness, that our faith becomes centered around us and our happiness, and that our God, who never said, I came to make you happy, becomes, at least in our minds, centered around us and our happiness. And that's just not true. Um, and so if we're going to believe in the reality of God and Jesus, we have to see the fact that we've been let off the hook at Christmas. That's what God came for. That's what Christmas story is all about. And so we in turn turn around and we let others off the hook. God, the supremacy of God will be seen when we live lives this Christmas where we let others off the hook. That's the first thing I want you to see. Who do you need to let off the hook this Christmas? Who do you need to forgive this Christmas? Who needs a surprise card from you this Christmas saying, I forgive you? Right? Who needs to hear you say for the first time in a long time, I love you and I forgive you? Whose house do you need to show up by surprise? Who do you need to send flowers to? Right? Who do you need to forgive this Christmas? The supremacy of God will be seen when we live, when we make God supreme in our families, when we live like it. So the first thing I want you to see is we have to let go of past hurt. The second thing, and, and well, let, me, let me pause there. I'm not going to stick there for a while, but that's not easy, right? I say it. I feel like I get up here and I say these things, and I'm like, yeah, just let it go. <laughs> it's not that easy, right? Um, it happens through prayer. It happens in community with other people when you admit it to other people. When you say, hey, I'm struggling with this, and you have somebody who's willing to stand in your corner and encourage you to do it. And it happens when you make a plan to do it. It happens when it's not just going to happen. You're not just going to forgive. It happens when you make a plan to do it. So let go of some past hurt this Christmas. Second thing I want you to see um, is let go of expectations, particularly external expectations. Look at what Joseph did. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1, um, verse. I'm going to pick up in verse 20. It says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her in her is from the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think I might have been supposed to start a, a, um, 
a verse before. Is that what I was supposed to read? Okay. Uh, and she will give birth to a son, uh, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Now, I want you to see this, is that what he did was he chose to take Mary home as his wife, in spite of what other people would have expected from him. Right now, in Jewish times, in, in the biblical times, in Jewish law, um, and even if you read in the Old Testament, he had every right and even expectation to divorce her, and he had every right to even have her stoned, put to death. In 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 the mind of uh, people in biblical times, and according to the law, he would have been just in doing so, and he would have been right in God's eye in doing so if he would have had her stoned and put away because, of course, she didn't get pregnant from God, right? And, and, and of course, she it was someone else. In that way of dishonoring someone in a shame and honor culture, you would have been just in putting her to the shame of death. But Joseph was a good guy and he didn't want to do that. So he chose that he was going to divorce her uh, privately. He was just going to kind of put it away and not make a big spectacle out of her. Because after all, he still loved her. But God came to him and told him what he was to do. Now, let me pause right there. Um, You you might not see an angel standing by your bedside, right? You, You might not hear the voice of God echoing down from heaven in a booming voice like, uh, who's that guy, James Earl Jones? Is that the guy with the deep voice? Yeah, it it may not come to you in that kind of way, but there's times in our life that we know exactly what God wants us to do, and we're saying, no, not me, right? God's will, God's way comes to us in the same way it came to Joseph, right? Not through an angel, but it came to us that we knew God's will in this particular situation, and we will resist it over and over and over again. And Joseph knew what his family expected him to do, right? His mom, dad had raised him from the time he was a boy to be a good Jew, right? To follow the law. He had memorized it. He knew what the law said. You are not to marry this woman. And in spite of expectation from others... Right. He 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 spent the rest of his life with a crazy aunt Mary who who got pregnant by God. Imagine when he told his friends that. Right. Um, I doubt any of them believed believed him. They said, uh, Joseph, even either you're lying about what you've done or she's lying about what she's done. Somebody in this situation uh, is, is not telling the truth. What Joseph did there, and I think in accounts somewhere, I think they use this word too, is differentiation, right? Have you ever heard that term, differentiation? I think that's how you say it. Um, And that's um, um, deciding to make uh, free, independent, and responsible decisions, right? So in spite of what, um, what the law said and society said and his culture said that he should do, in spite of what his parents would have expected him to do, and said, Joseph, you just need to leave this woman. Don't trust her. Don't trust her. Right? In spite of what his friends said, you don't need to be with her. Joseph did what the Bible says, was that is leave to cleave, differentiate yourself from your family, stop following what they want you to do, and be the person that God is calling you to be. And that's a powerful thing in our society. We have to let go of external expectations. That voice from our family and our friends that is saying, this is what you should do. Because often their voice, because it's vocal, becomes louder than the voice of God. And it prevents us from hearing what God himself is calling us to do. I love the story of Joseph. 
because God's will came to him. He heard it. He knew it. He built his family on it. Right? It says that he chose to take her home as his wife. He protected her. He honored her. He loved her. He married her. In spite of expectation. You see, the only way that God will be supreme in our lives and our families is the only way the supremacy of God will be seen is when we let go of external expectations. We got to do it. We got to live in that way. The third thing I want you to see that they did is they let go of control, right? They let go of control. Now today, and this is the way things go, right? We like to plan when we get pregnant, right? We, there's a million, I was telling somebody this week, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but I was like, I told somebody, <laughs> I probably should not go down this road. I told somebody this week, we were, we were in Trinidad and I was telling, talking to somebody and we were talking about people getting married and um, getting married and having babies, like honeymoon babies. There's this guy and, and we met um, that while we were down there had a honeymoon baby and i told his his sister i said now there's at least six different birth control methods that i can think of right there's at least six and two of them are in the bible actually Uh, there's at least six um and people use these right to control when those children are going to come right because we like to have a plan for our life we like to have things timed we, 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 are, we are taught as, as humans, as in our society, to plan out your life, to, to, um, to, to know where you're going, right? When you're a kid, what do they do? I, I remember I was sitting here thinking about this uh, just earlier, a few minutes ago. Uh, when we were in school, they used to give us planners, right? We were like elementary school. They'd give us planners. I don't know how to use a planner, right? They'd make us write our stuff, our homework home, and get our parents to sign it. And I remember this, um, this, this planner that we had when I was a kid had this quote in the front of it um, that said... Um, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I think Benjamin Franklin said that. If you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So all the time from the time we're young, we're taught to be planners, to plan out our life. What's your 10-year plan? What's your 5-year plan? What's the plan for your life? But what we see in the Bible is that if God's going to be supreme in our lives and our families, some of those plans got to go out the window. Look with me in Luke chapter 1. I want you to see um, kind of how this, this whole thing went down. I'm going to start reading in verse 34. And this is the angel that appeared to Mary. It said, this is how, um, how uh, no, this is when, when Mary finds out she was, she was pregnant. Mary says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel. That's a good question. How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, right? Uh, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month uh, is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I love what what happens in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, she said. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. What did she do there? She let go of control. She let go of control. May your word to me, your will for my life be fulfilled. 
You see, if God's ever going to be supreme in our lives and in our families, we have to learn to let go of control. I remember, um, I know some of you may have heard of of, uh, Leonard Sweet. He's written a ton of books. I don't know how many books. I remember uh, when we lived up in Jersey, I I called him or sent him an email. I didn't call. (laughs) We're buddies, right? I sent him an email, uh, and I just wanted to meet with him and talk with him. He's a professor uh, at Drew University up there. And then I was surprised that he he was willing to uh, sit down and talk with me. And and, uh, just fascinating guys, written written a lot of Christian books. And I remember as we walked one day, and this has never left me. We were walking... um, in fact, we're wa- uh, well, yeah, we're walking. It's, it's pouring down rain, and he decides to look over me and kind of give me this life lesson. And he said, it always astounds me how many followers of Christ have these strict five-year and ten-year plans as though God works always according to our plan. Right? He said, um, if you're going to have that kind of plan, it's almost guaranteed that you're not going to follow God. Now, what the scriptures are teaching us is not to not, not to not plan and to throw all our plans out the window. But the scriptures are teaching us to plan prayerfully, right? But to pray openly, right? To plan prayerfully, but to pray openly. And that's to say, God, I'm praying that your will be done. God, guide me as I plan. There's a proverb, I think proverb chapter 14 I think we have that one on the slide. Um, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says, there's a way that appears to be right. Right? There's a way that appears to be right. That's through our eyes, through our senses, through our intellect, our limited knowledge. Or maybe yours is limited knowledge. Mine's limited knowledge. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Right? I'm not trusting my own plans. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not trusting my plans. Um... I'm praying to God, and I want to know, God, what's your plan for my life? What's your plan? Do we have that other scripture, Proverbs chapter 19? It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's purpose that prevails. Listen, we'll face obstacle after obstacle after obstacle if we continue to pursue our plan again and again and again because God's purpose is the one that prevails. So yeah, the scriptures are teaching us, no, don't just not plan, but plan prayerfully, but pray openly. God, what's your will for my life? You see, we see in the scriptures that Christmas, at least the first one, was ugly. And there's been a lot of ugly Christmases since but don't make this christmas uglier than it has to be right let go of past hurts let go of expectations let go of control allow god's power to be seen in your life and in your family and yeah we might be celebrating an ugly christmas but god would do a beautiful thing an amazing thing in our lives when we trust him, when we follow him, when we give him our all. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that we, give this op- that we have this, this opportunity to um, study the scriptures and see how yeah, Christmas challenges us in some uncomfortable ways. And God, I, I know that, um, that I'm a creature of comfort. And when I'm uncomfortable, I want to move to another place (laughs) to sit in another position, to go somewhere 
to seek comfort. But God, I pray that this Christmas that we'll sit in the discomfort. Because it's often in the discomfort that your will becomes clear. It's often in the discomfort of this world, of the place that we're in right now, that your purpose becomes obvious. God, I pray that you reveal the next step for us in our lives. God, help us to see that the moment you created us for is right now. Help us to see your will in this moment. Not be so focused on tomorrow, but on today that we might live for you right now. Forgive right now. Let go right now. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.